All right, please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 today. We just finished um, all the parables in Matthew 13. It's kind of a good time for a break. And so I wanted to bring um, just kind of a, uh, a topical um, sermon today on God's grace. So please turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. As you know, I, I usually preach expositionally on a particular passage, but today's message is going to be topical. It's going to be on the topic of God's grace, His unmerited favor, right? Grace is a word we, we, we uh, I don't want to say throw around a lot, but the, it is a word that we use a lot. It's a, it's a beautiful word. It's a glorious truth, but I want to make sure we know what it is. God's grace is His unmerited favor to those who deserve His wrath. God's grace is his unmerited favor to those who deserve his wrath. And so that's what I want us to focus on today. God has had me on a journey lately, reminding me of the beauty of his grace. And so uh, I want to just kind of share that with you. Um, And I'll just kind of summarize that journey to say that the last couple of years... um, I think I, I saw myself becoming increasingly discouraged and I guess you could even say saddled with, the, with guilt over, over my own sin, over my own failures, not look, you know, living up to um, either my expectations or even what I would uh, assume are God's expectations. And so that, that became hard. Um, I, I became increasingly discouraged and... It really, I was really having a, a wrong mindset because I think what was happening is then when, when anything, you know, in this life we go through trials, right? But when anything hard would happen, when anything negative would happen, I, was, I began interpreting that as, and again, I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but I did. I began interpreting that as, well, that's God punishing me. <laughs> that's God disciplining me. That's... that's um, yeah, I would probably have used the word punish. That's God punishing me. I, as I was thinking about this recently, I, I think a, a fair way of describing myself um, it, it would, was I became kind of a self, self-flagellating Eeyore. <laughs> right? You guys know the character Eeyore, right? I uh, was just start, I just began expecting bad things to happen whenever something would, would happen, I was just, I, well, I was just waiting for, what, when's the next shoe going to drop? When's the next bad thing going to happen? And, and again, I saw a lot of that as, as my own, as God punishing me. Um, and, and in doing that, I wasn't even seeing the good things that God was doing, right? And that's why I say Eeyore. I was just focused on the losses or focused on the negative or anticipating the negative and not seeing the good things that God is still doing. And so, as I say that, you guys are probably noting to yourself, well, well, Jathan, you lost sight of the gospel, right? You lost sight of the gospel. You forgot the truth of the gospel, and I agree. I lost sight of the gospel as it pertained to me personally. Even though I, I cherish it, I declare it to you, I think I lost sight of the gospel and how it pertained to me. And so in God's great mercy, he's been redirecting me back to the gospel here recently. 
over the last several months. He's been encouraging me and sustaining me by pointing me back to the beauty and the glory of God's grace. And so I'm still on this journey, but I just wanted to kind of share with you some of the things God's been teaching me, reminding me, whatever word you want to use. Um, So the title of the message today is God's Grace to Us in Christ. God's Grace to Us in Christ. In Christ describes believers, Right? It's describing Christians, those who are united to Christ through faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to share three ways that God shows grace to his people. Three ways that God shows grace to us in Christ. And of course, this is not exhaustive. But I hope you're encouraged today. If you're a Christian, this is true for you. Okay? So... Um, we're going to begin in Romans 3.23. Each heading is going to have its own Bible passage. That's why I say we're not going expositionally through one passage. Rather, we'll look at three mainly. I'll be mentioning others. But here's the first one, okay? Ways that God shows grace to us in Christ. Number one, grace that forgives and loves me in Christ. Grace that forgives and loves me in Christ. I'm, I'm really personalizing this. I'm, I'm saying me But again, it applies to each one of you. You can say this as well. Grace that loves me and forgives me in Christ. Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood To be received by faith. So verse 23 explains that we are all sinners deserving God's eternal punishment. Our sin separates us from God's holy presence. It says we fall short of his glory. Our sin separates us from God's holy presence and leaves us enslaved to sin with a sin debt that we could never pay. But the Bible says God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son Jesus Christ to live, die, and rise again in the place of sinners. Look at verse 25. Christ's sacrifice propitiated. That means his sacrifice fully satisfied God's wrath toward all who are united to Christ by faith. That's what a propitiation is. It's a sacrifice that that satisfies and, and even turns aside God's wrath. And so Christ's sacrifice has done that for all who are in Christ. He has fully satisfied the wrath that we deserve. Christ has satisfied that forever. Through faith in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. They've been paid for by Jesus on the cross. On the cross. And not only that, but Christ's perfect uh, life of obedience then is credited to us. And that is the great exchange of the gospel, (laughs) right? Our sins exchanged for Christ's righteousness. It's it's amazing grace. God graciously forgives all of our sins because Christ bore our punishment on the cross. Again, verse 24 says we are justified by his grace. Justified means to be justified. Declared righteous, it's a legal term. God in the courtroom. God is the final judge. In his court, the only court that really matters, God declares us 
righteous. Crediting the perfect righteousness, the perfect obedience of Christ to our account. Notice verse 24 says, this is all a gift of God's grace to us. Right? You see that? We are justified by his grace as a gift. Grace is undeserved, right? Grace is, we we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We simply, verse 25, receive this gift through faith in Christ. And this comes back to the to the, the great solas of the Reformation, right? Since Reformation Sunday is next Sunday. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? That's what this passage is teaching. That's what the New Testament teaches so many places. But like I confess to you, although I, I cherish the gospel of grace, I personally have a tendency to slip back into a performance mentality with God. Right? I think even as Christians we can do that. Slip back into a performance mentality with God. This idea that God is happy with me when I do right and he's angry with me when I do wrong. But that is not what the gospel teaches The gospel teaches that God loves us in Christ. Yes, he's grieved over our sin, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but he only has love for us in Christ. I'm learning then to daily renounce confidence in my own performance and to continue, to continue to trust in Christ alone for my acceptance before God. In our study through Colossians, um, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 are like the theme of the, of the whole letter, which the theme of the letter is, is um, uh, showing that the supremacy of Christ and the centrality of Christ, that he is all we need. Don't add anything to, to Christ. And so chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, summarize and, and, and capture that by saying, for just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Right, And so just as we first came to Christ uh, by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that is how we are to continue to live. By trusting in, in Christ alone, uh, relying, knowing that it's by God's grace alone, and it's through faith alone. Right? And so that's what I'm saying is we have to, to um, continue to live that way. And that's what God is teaching me. To continue to daily renounce confidence in my own performance but rather to trust in Christ's performance, right? His perfect obedience and his sacrifice. I know that my sin grieves God, but I realize now that God only has love for me. And that's true of you in Christ. If you're in Christ, God's settled disposition towards you is love. Christ has paid for our sins in full, believer. I know I need to pursue holiness by God's enabling, but I don't need to put myself in God's doghouse when I fail because by God's grace I am loved and forgiven in Christ. What do we do when we fail? We confess our sins. We, we should be grieved over our sins, but we reaffirm our faith 
in God's grace and in Christ's life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. Okay? So now moving forward, whether it's the Spirit convicting me of new sin or my conscience condemning me about old sin, again, by God's enabling, I'm going to reaffirm my faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that God in His grace sent Christ to live, die, and rise again in my place. The fact that I am declared righteous and loved by God. Jerry Bridges, who's with the Lord now, he calls this preaching the gospel to yourself. Probably many of you have heard that statement, right? That phrase, preaching the gospel to yourself. It's, it's very important. It's very needed to preach the gospel to yourself. In his book, The Discipline of Grace, here's how Bridges describes that. Preaching the gospel to yourself means you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in his shed blood and righteous life. It means that you appropriate, again by faith, the fact that Jesus fully satisfied the law of God, that he is your propitiation, and that God's holy wrath is no longer directed to you. That's the gospel, and that's what we preach. And, and I want to be clear, and again, I, I don't know if any of you are getting nervous the way I'm talking up here Man, he's, you know, he's gone off the, on the love bandwagon, right, you know, and, and sometimes churches will do that or pastors will do that, right, and the, our world even wants to do that. It's, oh, it's all about love, 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 but there's no cross, right? There's no, there's no sin. There's no talk about punishment for sin. No, that's not what I'm talking about today. That's not what we mean when we say preaching the gospel to yourself. Preaching the gospel to yourself realizes sin is serious and that it costs Jesus his, his very life. And so preaching the gospel to yourself is acknowledging your sin, but it's simply reaffirming your faith in Christ and reminding yourself that you are forgiven and loved by God because of Christ and because of his grace. So brothers and sisters, when your conscience convicts you of past sin and failures, you can acknowledge that yes, on your own, you are guilty, right? But then quickly remind yourself that your sins have been paid for, your guilt has been borne by Christ. The all-sufficient blood of Christ cleanses us from a guilty conscience, Hebrews 9.14 says. In light of Christ's perfect once-for-all sacrifice, Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, you can just jot it down so you can look at it later. In light of Christ's perfect once-for-all sacrifice, Hebrews 10, 19 through 23 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so because of the finished work of Christ, who is our great high priest, this passage says we can draw near to God in full assurance of faith 
Continuing to rely on Christ, remembering that God graciously forgives us and declares us righteous by his grace. It's grace that forgives me and loves me in Christ. Now, again, I don't know if you ever feel this way or not, but I know that whether it be criticism from outside, whether it be Satan's accusation, accusations, whether it be my own conscience, my own failed expectations, I know that all of that together can lay a heavy guilt trip, right? But if you're still in Romans, I want you to flip ahead to Romans chapter 5. <laughs> this passage is so encouraging, and yet I had forgotten it, even though it's, it's the name of our church, <laughs> right? Should have been pretty clear to me. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I don't know if there's a more beautiful phrase in all the Bible, right? <laughs> where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just like we sang earlier, God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Christ's sacrifice is more than enough to pay for all of our sin. Christ's righteous life is more than sufficient to make us right with God. That's good news. <laughs> now again, please understand, I am not saying, hey, who cares about obedience, right? Who cares about sin? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. And Paul guards us against that, right? In this very passage, right? Two verses later, Romans 6, 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So rejoicing in God's grace does not mean that we take sin lightly. No, our sin grieves God, so we must remember who we are in Christ. That's what Paul is directing our attention to. Remember what God has done for you and remember who you are in Christ. Our old self who was enslaved to sin has died and a new self has been raised with Christ. We've been set free and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit so we can obey God now. So God cares about our obedience, loved ones. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. How we live matters. Right? We will give an account for how we live at the judgment seat of Christ. So let us take seriously obedience. Let us take seriously the pursuit of holiness. And... You know, when I think about the judgment seat of Christ, um, I am concerned about loss of rewards, right? I, I want to have as many crowns to lay at Jesus' feet as I can. And, and I know I've, I've uh, probably, not probably, I know I've uh, botched that up. 
I'm going to miss out on some rewards that I could have laid at his feet, right? So I am concerned about loss of rewards. But because of God's grace, I'm not concerned about my eternal soul. Right? Again, if you were to continue to read in Romans, you would get to Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that on that last day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, Revelation 21.4. And so that's very encouraging to me too, that all regrets, all sorrow for our sin and failures will on that day be swallowed up by the joy that we have of being in God's presence forever. So by God's enabling, I want to grow in obedience and holiness to the glory of God but I'm learning to trust in the merits of Jesus Christ as my hope for God's blessings and not, my, not trusting in my performance. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. I'm learning to trust in the merits of Jesus Christ for my standing with God and even my blessings from God and not my own performance. Again, what, I don't know if any of you are like this, but what had happened to me is um, I became too introspective. I was, you know, and, and we do need to examine our hearts. We need to confess our sin. But I was just doing that. <laughs> I was staying there <laughs> rather than turning my eyes back to the gospel. And at the conference this week, as a matter of fact, one of the pastors in, in one of his messages um, shared a, a quote from Robert Murray McShane. Maybe some of you know him, a Scottish pastor. Um, he said, for every one look at yourself, you need to take 10 looks at, at Jesus Christ. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? <laughs> and what I had gotten that backwards. I was taking 10 looks at myself and only one look at Christ, you see. And that's, that's a, ra- a ratio that's going to lead you to, to despair and discouragement, right? So let's keep our eyes fixed on Christ. God's grace loves me and forgives me in Christ. A second way God ministers grace to us in Christ, and I'll probably go quicker through these last two. A second way God ministers grace to us in Christ, grace that trains me to do better. Grace that trains me to do better. Please turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, that's page 998, if you're using the black Bibles. Right, because I was saying, hey, we don't want to take sin lightly. We do want to grow. We do want to bring glory to God. We want to be pleasing to him. We care about the judgment seat of Christ. And here's the good news. God's grace trains us to do better. God's grace is at work in us to grow us to become more like Christ. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, verse 12, training us 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There in verse 12, that, that word training, that's a term that elsewhere in the New Testament is used for the rearing of children. Paul uses it in Ephesians 6.4 when he charges fathers to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. So, we're all as believers, we're the children, right? <laughs> it's our Heavenly Father who's training us. And, and that's going to be for our whole lives, isn't it? All right? Our loving Father is training us by His grace. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, that training includes instruction, right? Teaching us. It includes reproof, correction, uh, discipline. It includes um, trials, hardships that he providentially brings into our lives according to his love, his wisdom. All of that, all of that God wisely and lovely is using to train us, right? To cultivate in a spiritual growth and godly character. God trains us to become more like Christ so we will bring glory to him and so we will have increasing joy of communing with him. Right? And that's what we, what we want. Right? That's what we need. I need to grow. I want to do better. I want to be used by God to bring glory to him. And here's the good news. God's grace is at work in us, training us to do that. I need to, um, what is it, 1 Timothy 4, I need to train myself or discipline myself for godliness, right? But I know that I depend on the Holy Spirit to change me. I depend on, on God's power, his, his grace, His strength. Like Philippians 2, 13 says, or 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so that training that, that we're under with our Heavenly Father, it includes discipline, right? A father disciplines his children. I know God disciplines us. But again, I'm just confessing what I had lost sight of is that God's discipline is always done from a place of love, Not from a place of, and I'm talking about for the believer, right? Not from a, from a place of just kind of like, pfft, I'm done with you, you know? I'm so done with you. No, God's discipline is always done from a place of love. I'd lost sight of that. I began expecting bad things to happen, assuming God was angry with me. Of course, Hebrews 12.6 shoots that false notion down very succinctly. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. It's Hebrews 12.6. And again, Titus 2.11 has been so encouraging to me because it says it's God's grace that trains us. So everything we receive from God, whether it's a trial that you're going through, whether it is correct, correction and discipline, whether it's just someone teaching you, all of that is coming 
from God and it's coming from his grace. Titus 2.12. As blood-bought children, God is always dealing with us in grace. All that he does in us and to us is done on the basis of his unmerited favor. All of God's teaching, training, discipline are administered to us in love. God is never angry with us. He is grieved at our sins. And I want to read for you a a quote from this book. If you don't have this book, I really encourage you to get it. A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. You know, he's someone who's just been preaching the gospel to himself and looking at scripture, meditating on what it teaches. And he's written a book to help us all do that. Let me just read a quote about, about this. He says, When I sin, God feels no wrath in his heart against me. His heart is filled with nothing but love for me, and he longs for me to repent and confess my sins to him so that he might show me the gracious and forgiving love that has been in his heart all along. God does not require my confession before he desires to forgive me. In his heart, he already has forgiven me. And when I come to him to confess my sins to him, he runs to me, as it were, and is repeatedly embracing and kissing me even before I get the words of confession out of my mouth. You know what he's alluding to there, right? Luke 15, the prodigal son. God does see my sins, and he is grieved by my sins. His grief comes partly from the fact that in my moments of sin, I'm not receiving the fullness of his love for me. He even sends chastisement, right, discipline, into my life, but he does so because he is for me, and he loves me, and he disciplines me for my ultimate good. I don't deserve any of this, even on my best day, But this is my salvation, and herein I stand. Thank you, Jesus, he says. Those are precious truths, loved ones. So far, we've seen in Christ, God gives grace that loves and forgives us. And he also gives grace that trains us to do better. Thirdly and finally this morning, he gives grace that comforts and strengthens me through difficulties. Grace that comforts and strengthens me through difficulties. God not only graciously uses trials to grow us, right? I mentioned that's part of his training. (laughs) But he graciously comforts us and strengthens us through those trials, through those difficulties. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, page 964. Just share three verses from this passage. Again, these are all passages you can go back and study on your own and get all the context and things. But Paul begins his, his letter with a, a doxology. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how he describes God. He's already said he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he also says the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I love this passage the way God is described, right? He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Father of mercies. What is mercy? Well, mercy speaks of God's compassion, his kindness, his pity to those who are in need. And of course, his mercy has been ultimately and most beautifully demonstrated to us in the gospel. When God looked at our sinful state, he looked at our pitiful condition, he looked at our desperate need, and he didn't just turn away. No, instead he responded with kindness and compassion and pity and sent his son and sent his spirit to draw us to himself through faith in Christ. So God has already shown such mercy to us in Christ. And God continues to pour out kindness on us every day. Uh, The scriptures say his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. God knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. And so when trials buffet us, God sees our weak condition. He sees that the burdens are too heavy for us to bear. And so he comes alongside and he comforts us in our times of trials and he helps us in our afflictions. And I want you to understand that that word comfort doesn't just mean kind of loving consolation, although that is part of it, right? It's not just him saying, oh man, I'm really sorry that you're going through that. We try to do that with each other, don't we? And that's that's good. But comfort also involves, entails strengthening. That's what the word means. It comes from the Greek word paraklesis, where we get the word paraclete, describing the Holy Spirit, who is our paraclete, one who comes alongside to help, to strengthen. And so when God comforts us in times of affliction, he provides real help for the trial. He provides comfort that involves consolation, encouragement, strengthening of the heart. And so during trials, God comes alongside us, And comforts us by giving us strength to endure the the hardship. God helps us by giving us strength to persevere through the difficulty while still clinging to Christ, still trusting in the gospel, still worshiping Christ. And I thank God for how he's comforting and strengthening many of you as I see you go through uh, prolonged times of trial, still worshiping Christ. The glory that he receives through that. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So during times of difficulty, just know that God is present. He's present and he's loving us and he's strengthening strengthening us to be able to endure the trials. In other words, we saw God's grace trains us. But it's not like God just gives us some difficulty and says, all right, that should train you. Have fun with that, you know, and kind of walk away. No, he gives us the trials. He gives us the hardship. He gives us the discipline. But through it, or during it, as we're experiencing that, he's also right there helping us. He draws near to us in love. He graciously gives us strength to persevere and to learn, to grow. He's training us. This is all his grace, right? I mean, 2 Corinthians 1 doesn't use the word grace, but it is all his grace. But I'll give you a passage that does use the word grace. You can just write it down. 2 Timothy 2.1. It comes, obviously, it's a, one of the pastoral epistles. Uh, Paul's, it's really his swan song, right? He's instructing Timothy for the last time. 
uh, in, by letter at least, and uh, he's talking about the priorities of ministry, but he's also talking about, Timothy, you're going to have to endure some hardships in ministry. And so later in the chapter, he's going to say, like a good soldier, endure hardship for Christ. But the way he starts that discussion, in, in that chapter at least, is verse 1 of 2 Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we'll be strengthened today by God's grace. God's grace gives us strength and comfort in times of difficulty. God has promised this. He's promised his grace and comfort to us in times of our suffering. We're assured that we're going to receive that, whether directly from God as we're spending time with him, or also through um, others, right? And that's how 2 Corinthians 1 goes on to talk about it, is just as you've received this from God, now you're going to be able to comfort others. And so it's all ultimately from God. And so, again, what a joy, the body of Christ, how we can encourage and strengthen each other. Whether that's praying together, whether that's rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. Maybe it is correcting if one of us is going astray, but that's all God's grace to us. And it's his help training us and, again, if it's a trial, comforting us through that trial. So, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're encouraged by God's grace today. Be encouraged that God's grace abounds to you in Christ. Right? Think of how the Bible describes it. His grace abounds. The grace that he has lavished on us in Christ. It's grace. It's nothing we deserve. It's nothing we can earn. But it's also nothing we can ever lose. His grace. Simply by His good pleasure and for His glory, God chooses to lavish us with His grace. By His good pleasure and for His glory, He chooses to lavish us with grace. Grace that forgives and loves me. Right? This is all through Christ, through faith in Christ. Grace that forgives and loves me. Grace that trains me to do better. And grace that comforts and strengthens me through difficulties. If you're in Christ, that grace is yours. And so I encourage you to relate to your Father according to grace. Not according to performance. Relate to Him according to grace. Know that your Father always loves you. And what the Bible teaches and what we've seen also through experience is as we do that, he's, it's going to lead to obedience. It's going to lead to desire to please him as his grace is truly at work in our lives, right? And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, I hope that a message like this just has you literally saying, hey, I need that. I want that. Sign me up right? I need God's grace. I need forgiveness of sins. 
I need to be accepted before God. I know that on my own, I'm a sinner. I need, I need strength for the trials. And I, I need to be made right with God because in my heart of hearts, I know that I'm not right with God. And maybe you're here today and, and you're kind of like, you know, the, the saints of old like Martin Luther, who you're, you're trying really hard. You're, you're trying really hard to, to do right. You're trying to do good. Uh, you're, you're hoping that in the end your good outweighs your bad. And I just want to bring you the good news of the gospel that, uh, first of all, that's not going to work, right? We can never be good enough. But yet God has provided all that we need in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we need to forsake our sins and by faith embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and trust in God's grace alone and the, the, work of, the finished work of Christ alone as our means for being made right with God. And I'll just close with this. Again, I mentioned Revelation 21.4. I'm going to read it for us. It'd be a good passage to go and read on your own, the whole, the whole passage. But one day, God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Verse 4 says, Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So one day, all this... A lot of what I've been talking about is going to be no more, right? All, one day all our hardships, one day all our discouragements are going to be eradicated. One day all our trials and all our suffering will be eliminated. One day all our sins and all our failures are going to be swallowed up as we are perfectly conformed to Christ. Praise God. And until that day, until that day of Christ's return, and our resurrection. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Be encouraged because the Lord's mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient and, and abounding. His love is steadfast and unbreakable. And God's grace will preserve us all the way to that final day of glory. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for who you are. You, you are a merciful and gracious and loving God. And as we're learning on Sunday nights, we know you're holy and just and all of these attributes work together in, 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 in perfection. And we praise you that you desire to show grace without compromising your justice. Rather, you satisfied your justice through your son, Jesus Christ. We, we praise you for your love and grace that sent him. That we can be saved, that we can be forgiven through faith in him. That we can be brought into the, the, this perfect love and, and communion that exists between the triune God, between you, Father, Son, and Spirit. To think that you love us perfectly in Christ. What amazing love. Like the song says, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? We praise you that you chose to do this and we just rejoice in it. Please uh, forgive us for losing sight of it. Forgive us 
for when we fall back into a performance mentality with you. Help us to always relate to you according to grace. And Lord, we, we need your ongoing grace. We confess we need it. We need it to, our hearts are prone to wander. Uh, we, we're easily led astray and distracted. We can be lazy, Lord, all these things. And so we need your grace. We ask for your grace to help us to, to work out our own salvation, to help us to be diligent, to pursue you. Oh, we want to be a church that is increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. That we can be a display of your glory. That we can know the joy and the hope and be ready to give an answer for it when others ask us about it. That we can point unbelievers to Christ. That we can be instruments of your grace to each other. To comfort and encourage. To point people back to the gospel. To speak the truth of the gospel to each other. I thank you that you have disarmed the rulers and and authorities and triumphed over them, putting them to open shame. That none of Satan's accusations can stand against us. He still accuses. He's, our, again, our conscience still tries to condemn. But I thank you that we can look to the cross and see that our sin has been nailed to the cross. And, and there's a big mark over it saying, paid in full. And we praise you for Christ's perfect and once for all sacrifice. Help us to, to live and relate to you according to the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand, please, and we'll sing another song of thanksgiving and praise to God.